Hello boys and girls and welcome to Fireside, a weekly podcast where this week I'm chatting to another human being about what we've been playing and doing this <laughs> I'm week. I'm jiggling my eyebrows because you said that I wasn't doing it there to do it last <laughs> week and all that. Well, it's weird. You see a reflection in the monitor, it's just not the same, Dan. Maggling your own eyebrows at yourself doesn't yeah. put you off. No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> just makes me look like one of those guys looking in the mirror going, Hey buddy. How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> Welcome to episode 34, the episode where we officially bypass another dungeon. Yay! Yay. <laughs> that means we're better. Yes. No, it means we've got more quantity. It means we've done more episodes. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what quantity means. Yeah, I know, right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, this episode we are going to be talking about Takenoko, Five Tribes, and the Manhattan Project Chain Reaction Game. Uh, before we get into all that, though, uh, last week I drank the delicious Asahi beer, and uh, so Dan's been over for the past hour or so, um, playing uh, playing various games, and I've given him a few beers. So get lick it up. What, what, do you, what do you what do you think? Oh, look, um, it goes without saying. It's just that typical nice, sharp <laughs> Japanese cut you off flavor. Then. I said, okay, well, that's it from Dan. <laughs> it goes without saying. Um, and uh, nice and dry as well, so um, works really well, especially as a, a warmer weather beer. Um, <clears throat> You're bitching uh, that I bought the wrong beer for winter again. It's not winter. We're in spring now. It's all good. It's all good. Still fucking cold. I, I don't know the difference. We, we wear shorts and thongs every day of the year anyway, so... The difference is <laughs> that when it's summer, we're standing out of the letterbox having beers after work. Very true. When it's winter, we're in the garage with the door down. <laughs> Very true. Very true. But we're still in shorts and thongs, and that's all that really matters. Um, look, uh, in terms of um, a, a rating, um, I mean, you described it perfectly last week. The only bit I've added there Damn is this. It's just that. <laughs> no, it's just got that nice dryness and that, again, that accurate Japanese sort of flavour that they're so good at. Um, I'm going to give it a four. It, it's definitely in my regular rotation. Um, stays, it's in, my, in fact, I've got some in my fridge right now. Yep. I love it. I'm giving it the 3.75 granular rating because <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, absolutely always happy to drink it. Very but good. it doesn't have that that thing that makes it really... I don't know. It's just very drinkable and enjoyable. Yeah, I've always been a fan of, of Asahi, so... No All right. On to this week's episode. Another freebie. Yes. So this one comes courtesy of Paul, who has uh, co-hosted with uh, with me before. Has he? Yes, we've done an episode. We talked a lot about the Lego games. We talked a lot about the Lego games and those games. This one is Winter Warmer by Grand Ridge Brewery. It's a limited release. Cheers. Um, <clears throat> it's a stout. Um, and I think, Dave, have you, uh, have you brought up the blurb on it? or If you can call it a blurb. Is, is it a blurb or is it just a line of text I'm not even going to get my uh, Dickie radio presenter voice warmed up on this one. <laughs> Obviously, because it's a limited release, they've just gone fucking half ass on the yeah. paragraph. Who are we? At 120 bucks a slab, you better be damn right Jesus. it's friggin' limited. All right, well, I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh, winter warmer, 6.4%. Case of 24 bottles. <laughs> A chocolate-style stout with flavours of vanilla and smouldering hint of chilli. 
That's it. That's it. I reckon. Ooh. Oh shit! You can, you can really Jesus. smell the chocolate. I have never been much of a stout Holy drinker, crap. but I could thoroughly enjoy this. That's like if chocolate milk fucked a beer and produced something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the chili thing is. It's there. like it's like there's a, there is a, I, can, I can detect the, the chili, but it's like a chocolate big M and a really nice beer fucked in my mouth. <laughs> Seriously, that is... Well, you just added a location to what I said. That is fucking tasty. <laughs> That's really good. I thought Paul was just doing this because he knew he we both full... didn't like stout. I thought he was full of it. Wow. Well, he is full of it. You get 24 in a case and we only got two. <laughs> well, I don't think he bought a whole case. In fact, from memory, I think he said he bought six. So, Well, thank you, Paul. That's mm. delicious. I'm not going to rate it yet, but fuck. That is, um, that is genuinely surprising. That is genuinely surprising. I was... Um, Wow. Yeah, okay. We'll talk For about it later. another podcast, we could say it was surprisingly awesome. Uh, <laughs> cross now, that plug. is a good podcast, Please but it's guys. not on the Podbrose network, which is uh, what we're part of. Bow, bow. So therefore, it was rubbish. <laughs> All right. All right. Intro done. Beers done. Plug for Pod Bros done. Good. We're good to go. What oh, yeah. game would you like to hit up first? Your choice, sir. We'll start at the top of the stack. Takenoko. All right. Takenoko. The game about the panda bear. And it's by my... Uh, I'm going to stop rattling the um, <laughs> the pieces in your ear. It's by my favourite game designer. <laughs> Antoine Bowser. The one you've got a man <laughs> crush on. Game-wise, game-wise. Can, oh, right, so, yeah. can we clarify yeah, yeah, yeah. So totally adding the word game to man crush makes it so much more hetero. Uh, design crush? Uh, I don't know. There's got to be There's no way it. of making the word man crush any more palatable. <sighs> anyway, this game has gorgeous this panda bears. This fantastic. <laughs> Look, it's a... Um, in, in true Antoine Bowser style, he's taken... I can't even say he's taken a concept. He seems to have come up with a completely original game again. It's one yep. of those games that... <laughs> it's the last time, I promise. Sorry. Um, it's... <laughs> oh, great. Well, I turned that over and the entire back of the box is written in another language anyway. Um, anyway. <laughs> he's, he's come up with a game that is completely unique. So, in it you play as um, competing nobles in a Japanese court. And so, Japan and China have become allies and the Chinese emperor um, has sent a panda bear to Japan. Um, And the basic premise of the game is that that you're in charge of instructing the gardener in the Japanese gardens to grow, expand the garden while making sure the panda is fed and and meeting a whole bunch of um, prerequisites. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, you've each got your own objective cards, which will be a, uh, um, a, a pattern, I think, of different coloured tiles that you're placing. Um, and um, look, I've only played a couple of games of it, Dave. You can have so to look, basically, fill in the gaps. It's, it's, um, I've forgotten what the correct term is. I obviously drank too much Asahi before we started. <laughs> but um, it's one of those games where players take turn to perform two actions per turn. So what you can do is you can um, place a new hex tile down that becomes a new part of the garden you can move the gardener um, you can move the panda you can um, purchase some irrigation i'm really not explaining this well <laughs> there's also the weather there's uh weather influence too so you can determine you 
God, this is the worst explanation. We of have a game done we a have really done. bad job of this. Okay, I think it's because we're trying to explain the game rather than just getting yeah. into yep. to what makes it great. So look, at its core, well, I was trying to think about this on the way home. Actually, it's not a set collection game, but it is, mm. and it's not a tile placement game, but it is. So the game starts, and you have a, a tile in the middle of the table, which is your the start of your gardens. And on your turn, you can place another hex tile, which is coloured green, yellow, or pink, beside that. When you place that, you place these little wooden um, tokens on, which indicate a bit of bamboo is growing. Okay? The second move you can do is that you can move the gardener in a direct line. He's a little uh, miniature on the board. And if you move him to one of these plots, he grows an extra piece of bamboo. Third thing you can do is you can move the panda bear... Um, when he lands on a, uh, a tile that has a piece of bamboo, he actually eats it. Now, the way the game works is that every player has their own board and their own private objective cards. So there are three type of objective cards. The first one is to match a pattern of um, tiles on the board. So you might have like a an L-shaped three. pink. Yep. Yeah, three hexes in an L-shape that are pink. Um, and basically the way you score the points on that card is whenever that condition is met on your turn, you can claim those points. Second one will be um, grow a stack four high of yellow bamboo. When that condition is met, you get those points. And the third one is when the panda bear has eaten X amount of uh, green bamboo pieces, you can turn them in to gain those points. So every time the panda bear eats something on your turn, you actually take it and put it on this neat little... uh, play a scorecard that you get for the the whole thing. It's really good, actually. It acts as a quick reference card for the rules and a means of monitoring your turn and a way to store all your extra things. Now, there are a few extra rules as well, like um, there are water sources and extra augmentations that you can have on hex tiles and all that. We won't necessarily go into those in detail. Um, But one of the things I do like about the game is that it, it provides surprising variety Mm. in play style that with your objectives there's no there's no one clear strategy that's going to help you win and this is further um enhanced i suppose by the way turn order plays out so at the start of your turn you roll a d6 and that d6 is going to determine the weather normally on your turn you get two turns if you roll and get a sun then you get to have uh do three actions on this particular turn um If you roll and you get rain, then one of the um, bamboo sections that's on an irrigated um, plot on the board, you can grow an extra thing of bamboo. The most they can go is four high. Uh, Wind. If you blow wind... If you blow wind. (laughs) That happens in every one of our games. (laughs) And every one of our podcasts. I made a wind sound. I didn't imply that it was anything else. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, So if you roll wind on the dice, you can um, perform two of the same action. If you roll a storm, then the panda bear moves to um, um, any square on the board because he runs away scared and you get a free piece of uh, bamboo if he happens to land on one that's bamboo, which is your choice again. So yeah, Um, And then the last one is uh, clouds. And if it's clouds, you basically get to um, 
those augmentations that I mentioned earlier, you get to pick one of those as a tile and either place it on one existing on the board or keep it on your, your thing for, for last time. And the astute among you would have uh, noticed that I only listed five items. That's because the sixth one is a question mark. So yeah. <laughs> if you roll the question mark, you get to choose the you weather. Choose the weather. Yeah. Mm. So your dancing beforehand <clears throat> has paid off. So I think the reason uh, this game appeals to me the most is that um, it really dives deep into a new way of strategizing. Um, like you said earlier on, you know, it's tile placement, but it's not tile placement. It's set collecting, but it's not. <laughs> it it's, was a hard thing to sort of... Yeah, I know. And yeah. it's, it's, really, it's really odd like that, but it's, it seems to be typical of this designer's approach mm. where in, in the process of coming up with an entirely new, I won't say genre, but an entirely new concept for a game, um, he's also managed to develop um, a set of rules and play actions that make you think about a game differently or think mm. about that particular game differently than any other game you might yeah. have played. Um, so what I liked about it was not only its variety in the gameplay, especially with the weather at the very start of each turn, because well, that, that can have yeah. a tremendous influence, mm. um, as we saw when we played. But it, it adds that right amount of randomness. It's yeah. not extreme enough that... You feel that you're at the the back and quarter. Yeah, of the you're dice. not at the slave of the dice, and you're but not. But at the same yeah. time, yeah, it's not that without it. Ultimately, it, there yeah. wasn't a lot of. There's not a lot of bad weather outcomes, but there are weather outcomes that change your strategy on the fly. Mm. That just force you to think on your feet, and I think that's probably what appeals to me the most. Yeah, is that, especially as the dice comes first. Yeah, then you select which actions you're going to perform, and then you execute yep. those actions. Yeah. So, um, I look, I really, I really enjoyed it. I haven't played enough of it to to sort of talk about it with any particular authority, but um, I, I know, like <laughs> like with most games you've introduced me to, but I definitely <laughs> want to play them more than once just to make sure that. Uh, <laughs> Um, that I'll be happy to keep playing it. But, it's because um, I don't bother introducing you to ones that are crap. <laughs> That's a good point. Why would I? <laughs> but look, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. It's, I don't know, I just feel we haven't done it justice. No. It, this was the first game the I is, gave a 10 out of right? 10 you look on at our it, website. Even the instruction book, right? And and this is, you know, you, you were commenting on it um, when we played. The first couple of pages in the instruction book, or the first page, the cover page, gives you the story in comic book panels. Mm. Like it's, um, you know, it, it, everything about it is just true to the genre and the setting of the game. Yeah. Um, and that's something that, that um, what's his name, Anton? Antoine Bowser. Antoine Bowser. That's something he seems to do very well with his games in yeah. general, is that he doesn't just create a game that, that pays homage to a particular concept or genre or part of the world. He fucking dives in full body yeah. and does everything, whether it's Comes a fucking up with a, a scroll or some other way of presenting yeah. the rules or whatever. That that just it it makes the whole experience feel genuine. The other thing I like about this game is the not presentation, the build quality. I suppose he hasn't skimped on anything. The no. way the little, oh, the uh, little bamboo, bamboo towers yeah. build, yeah. the the quality of the the panda and the gardener. Everything is just so well presented. The thickness of the tiles for the hex. Yeah. Everything feels like it's perfect. It's just a very well built game. Yep. The presentation yeah. is great. The game is great. It's unique. The instruction manual is the exact opposite of Zombicide. Um, <laughs> you know, when you need a quick reference, you can quickly get to exactly what you need and know how to play. As with all his other games, the complexity of the game is well masked mm. by. The simplicity of its package. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Definitely. Oh, no. I've got someone else here and I'm still oh, saying you know, you know what, what I mean. mean. <laughs> know what I mean? Gov. Oh, hell. All right. Let's hope we can do the next game better justice. Absolutely. Huh? And the next game is... <laughs> Drum roll. <laughs> five Tribes. Yay. I was going to do the Manhattan Project, but Five Tribes is right there. So, this game is awesome. It's Days of Wonder. End of story. Yep. yep. Next game is... <laughs> no, we're going to do this one better justice, weren't we? We are, we are. Look. Actually, considering that Takanoka and Five Tribes are among two of my absolute favourites, they, they, they're always brought off the shelf on a game stay. Yep. Um, usually run out of time to play them, but they're always, they're always <laughs> done. Now, Five Tribes is another one of those games that I can't quite um, explain how it's even a hard one to explain how to play. So the way it works is you lie down, you lay down a whole grid of tiles. I believe it is... Five by six. Five by six grid of tiles. And on each tile you place three coloured meeples. Now, the way you play is on your turn, you pick up a stack of meeples, however many are on that particular tile. Particularly tile. Jesus, how strong was that stack? (laughs) (laughs) Halfway in, too. (laughs) You pick up all the meeple on that tile and you place them sequentially on the adjacent tiles. Yeah, so what you're doing is you're running out your hand of meeples one at a time, progressing in a, in a line. You can't go diagonally. You can turn corners and even double back yeah. if there's enough meeples until you end on a tile with one meeple in your hand that matches another meeple of at least the same colour. That's least right, one. yes. And then however many of those meeples are that colour. So let's say you've picked up uh, a red, white and blue meeple um, you've dropped the red, you've dropped the white, you finish on a tile that happens to have two meeples that are blue on it, as well as other colours perhaps, and you've still got the blue in your hand. You get those three blue meeples and they do something. So, do a certain action. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a worker placement game, but with a, a really unique twist, because the workers you start with are whatever you happen to pick up at the start of the turn, and you're affecting other tiles as you place them. So oh, if yeah. Dan started and he picked up three, he places one adjacent, one adjacent, and then the final one there, that final one might now only have two meeple left, whereas the two that he's travelled over now have four. And the same when you're travelling, you can make a, a, a negative one. Um, yes, negative. One without meeples, you can put one, one without, on there. Yeah. So the basic idea of the game is that you progress, taking it in terms to perform these actions, and I'm not going to go into all the rules. There are, what, Look, eight I mean, different the, coloured meeples? The things you need um, to know are that the... the Different coloured meeples that you collect uh, confer different benefits, whether it be uh, some of them just add up to victory points at the end of the game. Some let you assassinate meeples from either someone else's um, stash. someone else's stash or from the board um, or, or even award you gins uh, or, or you know, yeah. genies. Um, which give you special actions. Which, yeah, give game. you other special actions again. There's, There's also, also, if you uh, finish on a tile and clear the tile in doing so, so let's say I landed on a tile with one last red meeple on it and I had a red meeple in my hand, so I've effectively finished with those two. I then the tile, take yeah. ownership of that tile. I put one of my t- uh, camels, camels on the yep. tile to indicate that ownership. Some tiles also get palm trees and palaces every time someone finishes on that tile. Those yep. add up extra victory points again at the end of the game if you own the tile. So it's all about, yes, it's worker placement with a twist, but it's ultimately about victory points. And it's, yeah. it's just thing, amassing yeah. points the so, best way you can. So to clarify that, when you end, so you, you pick up three meeples... The third meeple you place 
must be on a tile with a meeple of that colour. Yes. That's one of the rules, because there are two ways this game can end. One is you run out of camels, and the second is that you just run, run out, out of legal run out moves. Of moves. Um, and when you finish on that, you do, you do two actions. Three actions, I suppose. One, you check to see if there are any meeples left, as you said. If there aren't, each tile has a value. So when you take ownership of that tile, you get 15, 8, 7 victory points. Second is that you perform the actions based on the colour of that meeple, which you've already run through. And the third thing is you perform the action on that tile. So every tile has a specific action. It might be at a palace, which makes that tile worth a bonus 5. It might be at a palm tree, bonus 3. It might be um, a lady to make a, a purchase. You can buy a genie. So the other thing in there, making a purchase, um, is there's a, a, an element of uh, set collection in here as well. So green meeples, if you finish on a green meeple, let you purchase X number of cards. You can actually um, spend your coins to purchase cards. And it... Jeez. Bad so the cards are either the cards are, are one of I think it was one of nine different nine different types resources. of cards and I've got little dots on them yeah. to show you the rarity and the more you collect in a set so a set of five is worth X number of points a set of three is worth blah points etc yep. etc now one thing I really like about this game um, well it's going to sound a bit weird I'll go about I'm probably going about this the wrong way one of the things I really like is the way it scores. So at the end, it's one of those games where at the end you end up with a pad with like, what, 10 lines? Yeah. yeah and you're yeah. going, right, now, how many tiles do you have? Cool, you got that many points, I got that many points. Yeah. How, how many, many white meeple do you have? White? How many yeah. white? Okay, you got the most, so you get a bonus this. And yep. how many this, how many that, etc., etc. You also get one victory point per dollar that you've got in your hand. And every player starts with 50. Yeah. And the reason I like that is because when you're buying cards for a set, you're spending victory points to hopefully gain more. But more importantly, at the start of every player's turn, you bid for the order in which Absolutely. you'll play. Yeah. So say so at, at the very start of the game, you draw the colours at random and put them on this little track. So say Dan is first. So the way it works is there's this small track. For and bidding. And then there's a track for the number player. 0, 1, 3, 5, 8, 12, 15, say. Two zeros, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So Dan can spend three coins, which yep. is three victory points, and put himself on the, the third from the left. And then I might go, well, yeah, I've got a really good move that's going to net me a lot of points, and I think Dan will steal it, so I'll pay five. And then Frank over there, who's the third player in this, yep. might look at it and go, well, you guys are nuts. I can't see any moves, and he'll pay nothing. And then the turn order is, decide, uh, is, is me, Dan, and then Frank. And the way... This works really well, is that after you've had your turn, you move to the start of the um, Bidding queue. Track. So yeah. next round, I'm the one who bids first. Yeah. Then so the player Dan, that went first then, then gets Frank. to bid first next turn. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it really evens out. But this, the whole bidding for turn order adds a whole new element to the game because you're spending victory points... To, to theoretically gain more, yeah. yeah. And and near the end of the game, oh. it, it really becomes... And that's where um, it's incredible, right? And, and we can't understate enough, can't overstate enough, I should say, the importance of those resource cards that you purchase and acquire throughout the game. Because the greater the set of unique resource cards you sell back, 
the greater the value. So if you sold just a, a single resource card on its own, you get one victory point back. Great. Mm. If you sell two, you get three victory points. If you sell seven unique resource cards, as I said, you get 30 victory points. Isn't it like and a 60 for nine or something? It's, no, I think by the time jump. you get to nine, it's like 80 or some ridiculously yeah. high number. So... It, it, it is literally, it's, it's exponential growth, mm. uh, the more of those unique cards. Hence, the cards that have greater rarity. Some of them, there's only three in the whole deck. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's where it really adds a new element of tension to the game. Because you're sitting there going, well, I'm spending all these victory points because I've got a good move that's going to get me... Shit, I can see that if I can do this move, I can get three of the first six cards in line, yeah. you know, to build a set of seven and get 30 victory points out of this. You go, great, I'll bid five. And then someone goes, I'm going to bid 12. And they take your turn. And you go, yeah. that's fucked. <laughs> I want to tip the table over. And it's that that. And then whole... they don't get what you want. And you're like, okay, sure. It's, <laughs> you know, it's it's um, it's chess meets Machikoro meets friggin' Splendor in so many different <laughs> elements of those three games mm. that it, it just mixes them so well. And I, I absolutely love it. that The use of tiles to generate a board yeah. means that every game is random. Yep. Um, the mixture of set collection, gin, the the different ways that you can score points means that every game, much like with uh, duels that we talked about yep. two episodes, three yep. episodes ago? A couple of games. Whatever. Yeah. Um, that one, you can get to the end of the game, think you've got it in the bag, and it can be a lot closer than you anticipate. You really don't know no, until, until you, you get add it to up. the end, yeah. and you're like... And, 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 and I love and those that. Those gins, and there's a lot of gins available, there's... Uh, I can't remember if it varies based on number of players, but in a two-player game, there's three turned up. Mm-hmm. I think it's three at all times. I think it's it? three all times, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and they're a lot like the Nobles in Splendor, which is my mm. reference there. But one of those gins, for instance, lets you you get extra victory points every time someone places um, a, a, a palace on a tile. Yeah. If it's you that places a palace, you get one. But if your opponent does, you get two. Yeah. It's like these sorts of these bonuses that are bonuses on top of bonuses. Um, it's then just if phenomenal. nobody places palaces, then yeah. I but... think what makes Five Tribes so exciting for me is the scoring system at the end. Yeah. It really is. But you, the thing I like, so there are two things I like, really like about this game. The first is that I've never played anything else like it. Yeah. Right? I called it a worker placement game, and it is, in that you pick up meeples and place them on things, but it's not like anything else I've ever played. The second is that it works so damn well. Yeah. And the third is that the element of surprise at the end where you're not sure how it goes doesn't mean that it's not a strategic game. Yeah. You have to work on your strategy as you're playing and look at what you think other people would all that is just as important as in any other game. Well, it's just that it can have the big There's even an element you of push your end. luck, right? So you might sit there and go, Well, I've got a great move, I'm gonna bid five. I think that's you know, I think mm. I want to get in front and get this great move. But you're running the risk of someone else knowing that move, seeing the value, and potentially bidding eight or whatever to get in front of you. Yep. Um, so there's an element of that too. And and it's just I don't know, I think um, I think they must have had some mathematicians go through this frigging game because the scoring system is so damn good by the Perfect. time it gets to the yeah. end. It yeah. just works. Uh, Five Tribes is up there. It's 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 at the top of my list in terms of board games. Yeah. Um, uh, as much as Dominion is the top of my list for card games, it's it's the peak for me. It's the pinnacle. I love yeah. it. Same here. Was yeah, as you know, right? Days of Wonder. Yeah. My top list almost always <laughs> includes Small World, yep. Ticket to Ride. And five tribes. Yeah. 
Splendor, I know, is up there, but that's not that's a Space Cowboys Didn't game. Start but out that's as a, this, yeah, yeah. Um, Look, and Dominion. It, I and, taught yeah. I taught the ten year old this game in in like half an hour, and he's now put it literally at dinner tonight. He was asked <laughs> what his favorite games were. Uh, his top five favorite games where he put five tribes in the list. So that's that amazing. I might have to try it with Lily. I, I didn't think she'd go for this. Uh, type Christian, of game, but... Christian loves it. So yeah, can't recommend it enough. Okay, so the last game we're going to move on to is is Man- it the Hatton. Manhattan Project? I think it's just Manhattan, Manhattan Project Chain Reaction. Yeah, so this is a game that you got on uh, Kickstarter. You got the deluxe edition, which we played, and kindly donated me your print and play. I did. Um, so, I, I'm not entirely sure what attracted me to the game in the first place. It might have been the price. I can't remember how much it cost to back. But um, Good facts, Dan. Yeah, yeah, great facts. <laughs> so, Manhattan Project, uh, or Chain Reaction. So, there is a Manhattan Project game, which I haven't played. So, uh, apologies if I, um, if I offend people by mixing the two up. This particular game, um, <laughs> it's, it's effectively, at its core, it's a set collection game. And the idea is that you're... Um, each of you that are playing are um, your, I think, defence ministers for these little countries. Can I be a mad scientist? I picture sure. myself as a mad scientist. Yes, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. It, it does make sense. Um, but the idea is you're building your your nuclear arsenal for your country uh, to to effectively prepare yourself for defence to to defend against your enemies. Um, and it's a race to it's it's an arms war. It's an arms yeah. race, right? That's that's effectively an arms race. Um, and the way it works is that uh, the cards that you have, uh, there's effectively an industry deck that you draw from um, that have uh, a whole load of different cards, but the cards can be played one of two different ways. You can play them side-on or landscape mode um, where they... <laughs> landscape mode. <laughs> I'm an IT guy. What do you Dan's want from me? Dan's <laughs> a printer. <laughs> if landscape you play them, or portrait. If you play them side-on, then uh, on the side of the card, they have a number of... They call them personnel. They're effectively human resources. Human resources, laborers, engineers, and scientists. Some of them will give you one of a particular resource. Some will give you two. Some may give you one of each of two different ones. Um, those then feed into other industry cards, uh, or allow you to activate other industry cards. So, for instance, a um, a university might take say one scientist up the top, and then at the end of that, it'll actually output say three engineers. Mm. Um, those in turn can let you activate further cards down the chain. And the whole idea, and this is where the chain reaction bit comes in, is that you're able to play a series of cards in a single chain to ultimately try and get as close as you can to building a bomb. I'm not entirely sure if it's possible to build a bomb from zero to bomb in one turn. I don't think there's the right combination of cards for that to happen. But the idea is that you're converting... It might be if you ended it with enough personnel to combine with you. That's so, just yeah, that you well, would have to, yeah, because we haven't covered that yet. Yeah, though, but exactly. <laughs> so the whole idea head, is that you, you, uh, the, the table has a couple of bombs turned up or bomb plans turned up that are available uh, to all players. There are other cards that let you draw bomb plans into your own private stash and try and build those in private. Uh, those bombs carry a points value, and uh, according to the rules, the first player to ten that ends the game. Um, every other player, uh, sorry, let me say say that again. All the other players in that round get one last chance to try and catch up effectively. Um, So the way it works is you're converting people resources into potentially other people resources and or uranium through mines and things like that. (laughs) Converting people to uranium. In other words, what you're doing is you're putting people power into a mine that then outputs uranium. Hmm. That uranium in turn goes into refineries along with other people resources to then churn out 
sorry, yellow cake. Yellow cake. Yellow and cake, uranium. which goes into a refinery and then churns out uranium, and ultimately uranium and again people resources let you build those bomb plants. So you can yeah. take one of the public bomb plants, or if you've managed to acquire a private bomb plan, you can build that too. Um, there's also a couple of uh, or a, a small stack of bonus uh, bomb loaded cards, which are identical. I think there's only ah, half right. a dozen of those. They're yeah. worth an extra couple of points again, and it's effectively loading up the bomb on a bomber, so it gives it extra value. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much it. Where it gets tricky, and, and <laughs> I'll put it on record, is, <laughs> Dave knows exactly where I'm going, is... Uh, is as long as you say Dan, not we. Is a particular rule that uh, <laughs> we were playing incorrectly. <laughs> we, who's we? That Dan didn't quite read properly <laughs> when he first introduced Dave to the game. Uh, and that is that you can only activate a single chain of cards. So if you were to put a card on its side and have two scientists, but only use one of those scientists to activate another card, you don't get to go back and activate a second card with the remaining scientist. You effectively forfeit that. You've overmanned the project. You've overmanned it. You've, yeah, yeah. you've oversubscribed the project. Or, you've yeah. sent two scientists in a mine to do one engineer's <laughs> job. Um, so that far, but anyway. when we first played it a couple of times, incorrectly saying, oh, yes, we can activate extra cards off to the side... Um, it was confusing. It, it felt A, confusing, but also felt B, a little too easy. Mm. Read the rule correctly in a recent game and went, oh, shit, okay, let's play it the right way. We've played it the right way and we've actually gone, actually, this is a really yeah, good really game. Balanced. It's really well balanced. It makes it a lot more difficult to to achieve the 10 points worth of bombs. Yeah. Um, and I think now that we understand the full rules, <laughs> um, I enjoyed that game a lot more. Same um, here, yeah. That, that full game that we played with the right rules. Yeah. Mm. So one of the things I like is the dual purpose cards. I'm a real big fan of that. So the cards have a uniform design. Up the top, you'll have a cost, which will be a, a combination of personnel, yellow cake, and uranium, right? Yep. They're your three resources that you can get. Um, and down the bottom, we'll have the output. The bombs are laid out exactly the same. The um, university, the, what did you call them? Yes, These? universities, there's mines. No, no, what are they called? Oh, industry deck. Industry yep. deck. All the industry cards, they're all laid out exactly the same. It's, it's a uniform approach that makes it very easy to understand. And then when you rotate the cards, if they've got a human resource that you can use instead... Again, they've all got the yeah. exact same format. You know, even the bombs, right? So up the top of this bomb card I'm looking at in my hand, uh, you can exchange one scientist, two engineers, and four uranium. And then down the bottom, where the output normally goes for a card, you've got six points, yep. right? It's easy. The, the second thing I like is that they actually include a one-player mode in this game. Yeah. So you can actually play by yourself. Now, you've done it, haven't you? Yeah, I played solo mode a couple of times before so I brought you... it along. So... It's effectively, um, look, the aim of the solo mode is simply to see what, what's the most amount of points you can win before the industry deck runs out or oh, by okay. the time it runs out. Whereas in a, a more than one player game, um, you shuffle the discarded industry deck until, and you keep playing until someone reaches 10 points. So that's, that's really the only difference. Some cards, however, have different actions or give different benefits in a solo game. So, for instance, one of the factory cards where... If you play it in a multiplayer game, lets you draw two cards of your own or force an opponent to discard two of their own. In the solo variant, um, lets you take uh, says may take output from the discard pile. So you can take two cards that have been discarded, yeah. um, which is great because if you've discarded, recently had to discard, say, a refinery that gave you, you know, 
a shitload of extra uranium from the yellow cake you had, you might mm. want to get that back into your hand so you can reuse it. Well, in a two-player game or a three-player four, what's the maximum? Four? I think it's four. Yeah, yeah. we'll say four. Yep. We're probably wrong, but who cares? <laughs> um, in that game, you can discard cards knowing that at some point they're going to probably be reshuffled and you might get them back. Um, so it's an interesting change in strategy. One thing I didn't like about the game for two players mm. was that... Not quite sure how to word this, but you can see the end coming and you don't have a whole bunch of control. Yeah. Like, I knew when you were going to win that last game. Oh, no, I won the you last game. You won the last one. I won the one before. We weren't recording yeah. it, though. Yeah. Mm. Um, the one before, you won. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we played two games. Of, two games? Three games? Two games. Two. Um, as we were drinking those delicious Asahi beers <laughs> um, before we started this. What the hell was my point? Oh, yeah. You, you, I could see because, okay, so when you get, you have five cards in your hand that the other player can't see. So they don't know how many human resources or potential cards, uh, card types you have. Yep. At the end of your turn, you draw back up to five. So you've pretty much always got that in your hand, at least. Your uranium and your yellow cake are face up on the table. Now, in the deluxe, there are these awesome wooden tokens. Yep. Um, in the uh, print and play that I've got, they're cards. Um, now, the cards are actually really well designed and worked a lot better than I thought cards would. Yeah. But um, I won't go into the details of that. They're just really good. Um, but the tokens are better. If you remember, that's, <laughs> that's the same comment I made when we were playing. I was saying it's, it's a little bit disappointing that your uranium and yellow cake's on display because it's kind of easy for your opponent to see which way you're headed. Well, that's what yeah. I was thinking. And I was thinking, yeah, I can see, I can see the face-up bombs on the table. I can see what Dan has in his hand, and each time he plays a certain thing, I didn't feel I had a whole lot of control over any form of counter-strategy. My only goal with my cards was to get there as fast as I can. There were, uh, There's one card where I can either steal one of your bits of cake... Yep. Or I can... Um, makes me sound like we're talking about you can still, um, still Or I can make you get rid of... Oh, there's another one where I can make you get rid of two cards. Yep. They're really the only attack cards that you've got. Yeah, um, so there's those special actions. Um, the, and the that kind of... That kind of... It didn't rub me up the wrong way. I really enjoy playing this game. But that's one of those things that, that left me at the end feeling like... When I win, I didn't feel that there was a way that you could have stopped me. And if I lose, then I don't feel there's a way that I could have stopped someone else. Well, yeah. So the card you're thinking of, that espionage card, where you can either steal a yellow cake from your opponent or... And very quickly, um, there are also four landmark cards on the table, which are um, four uh, public versions of uh, um, the industry, some of the industry cards, Mm. like a refinery, library, university, and I think a mine. Yeah, that's all for. But they, they effectively come at a higher cost than what the average card would be in the deck. So it's available at any point in your turn to help you complete an objective, yeah. but it will come at a higher cost. I did like that as well because that meant that you're not you're not stuck. You're not caught and holding a bunch draw. of shit cards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You do have the choice of spending more than you would normally to get that last crucial bit of uranium yeah. or whatever only, to build the bomb. It's only marginally more. It's yeah. not it's not like it costs double as one much. One extra as a human card. resource or one extra video yellow card yeah, or exactly. whatever. Yeah. yeah. Look, I, I agree with you. The the um the uh, face up or in, in everyone's face portion of the game where everyone sees the yellow cake and uranium that each other has. 
as well as the bomb cards that are turned up on the table, it means that it's very easy to quickly determine who is closer to achieving an objective than anyone else. Mm. Um, and it, it takes away a little bit of the, oh, shit, I didn't realise you were there yet. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think so. Yeah, sorry, I won't cut you off. But, but that leads into what you were saying, which is, in turn, your ability to change that outcome is often quite limited yeah, because you've only got those five cards in your hand. Yeah. And if, if you're only sitting there with nothing but a few bits of yellow cake in front of you, it's going to take you at least two more turns to obtain uranium from that to then potentially take the bomb yeah. away from that person before they get to it. And and chances are, by the time you've seen it, it's too late. So yeah, yeah. But I mean, look, all that said, it felt like a very well-rounded off game. I haven't really played anything like it. Um, well, I have played other games like it, but not like it, but not like it. That's a completely <laughs> useless. It feels original. Yeah. It uses mechanics that I'm I've seen elsewhere. Yeah. But it feels like an original game, and I had a lot of fun playing it. Same here. Same here. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all of our games. It is. So, beer. Beer. <sighs> Winter Warmer by Grand Ridge. Um, Does so, have a chocolatey taste. It, oh, totally. And look, it says, smouldering chilli vanilla stout. Um, and I have, I've never... No, there's a very slight hint of it at the very end. I can, I could just feel it. You know, it's like if you have a really, really nice hot spicy dish... Five minutes after the last mouthful, you still get that slight burn at the at the back. That's yeah. that's what I detected at the very end of the taste on that. But it goes very quickly too. So I think you needed more chili, <laughs> just a little bit more. M O A R chili. <laughs> <laughs> Moi. Um, look, uh, it's it's a really tasty beer, and I'm not someone who who has. I don't drink a lot of stout in general, and mm. I haven't drunk a lot of stout because my experiences with stout have never, have not always been particularly good. Um, I've generally only ever enjoyed it in a black and tan, where you you do a half stout, half uh, sort of brown ale, and, okay. and that's usually quite nice. Um, this it's like putting coke in your scotch, you fucking heathen. Well, no, no, no. So if you take <laughs> something like, so my favourite black and tan is literally Guinness and New, Newcastle brown ale. Okay. And, and you get a half, half pint of that, and it is actually, it's smooth and it's beautiful. One tempers the other perfectly. This needed no such tempering. So my, my experiences were started that they've always been very sharp and very, very heady. Um, this was smooth. It was sweet. Um, and it just... Super sweet, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not something... So here's, here's my dilemma. Here's my dilemma. It is a very, very nice tasting beer. But there is no way I could drink that flavour every day. No. And that for me is a real dilemma. And and it's potentially a slight error in our in our Firestein rating system because um I want to give it a high score, but there is no way I could put that in a regular rotation. Well, that comes down to <laughs> all right, Firestein wise, how because I've rated Kieran and Asahi lower yeah. than the frequency I could drink them yep. would dictate. <laughs> right, because both of those, I've got them in my fridge right now. I grabbed two six, but, uh, you know, 24 packs. We said that a four was, wow, this is a great beer, and I'd happily put it in my regular rotation. I oh, did I? Pretty sure that's <laughs> what we said, and that's why I said that about Asahi. Okay. Yeah, but regular rotation doesn't necessarily... All right. No, no, look. To me, regular rotation could mean once a month I'll, I'll whip out a... 
you know. <laughs> Look, my interpretation of the four fire steins is that by regular rotation, it means if someone put one in front of me, I'd happily drink it. Yeah, fair um, enough. That is totally where winter warmer fits for me. Um, uh, however, it is just a little too sweet for my liking. I do have a preference for dries. So I'm going to mark it a little bit lower than Asahi because of that. So that one comes in at 3.75 fire steins. Oh, really? It's a 3.5 for me because it is It is very nice. Um, I'm not taking into account I was surprised by the stout, but if you are a fan of stout, you might not like it because I'm generally not a fan of stout. Um, Very, very sweet. Um, And I'm not a big fan of alcoholic sweet drinks in general. Yeah. Mainly because I'm such a big fan of sweet drinks. Um, (laughs) Which might sound silly, but I'll happily go out and have a milkshake. You know, I'll take the kids down to Krispy Kremes and we'll have milkshakes because they're freaking delicious. And I love that. Totally. And I love my beer tasting, not savoury, what's the word you use opposite of sweet? Oh, I use dry. Dry, that'll do. Yeah. Dry seems a bit of a weird word for a... I don't know. I know what I mean. Not... Not sweet. When I have a beer, I don't expect it to be sweet. And that sort of blurred that line a bit. Uh, a bit. A bit. So, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, I can see that it's a delicious beer, but I don't think it's something that, that I could regularly drink. It's something that on a show where we sample a beer each week, yep. I go, oh, that's surprising. That's mm. actually quite nice. Actually, I'm going to give it a three. <laughs> I'm going to give it a three because I don't think, I don't think if I was in Dan's Murphy's, I would. <laughs> I love how you have to correct that every time. <laughs> oh, if I was in Dan's, I'd just take whatever I could while he's not looking from the fridge. <laughs> if I was in Dan Murphy's, I don't think I would purchase this beer. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's oh, there. I go again. God damn it! Yeah, I know what you mean, Gov. Um, look, that's that's a pretty fair call. I'll I'll stick to the three point seven five because it's too late. You already said it's... it. I stopped recording minutes. Ago. <laughs> <laughs> Simply because um, I would happily drink it any time it was put in front of me. But I like you. I probably would not go out and seek it. Mm. Yeah. So thank you very much, Paul. It was delicious. Indeed. Thanks, Paul. Okay, that's the end of the episode. Uh, as per usual, podcast at anotherdungeon.com. We're on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, the web, all sorts of crap. We've actually got a few reviews up this week. Uh, Tim did a review of Arc Continuum. It's C-O-N-T-I-N-U-U-M. Continuum. Isn't that U-A-M at the end? No. Uh, that's continuum, W. Is it a W? Yeah, continuum. Jesus, the English language is fucked sometimes. Yeah. Vacuum or continuum. Yeah, they both have double U's in them. Yeah, vacuum. Yeah. It should be continuum. Oh, or it could be vacuum. Are you sure it's not AM? Positive, it's continuum. Oh, okay. That's a W. I'll go with that. Um, <laughs> Tim, Tim reviewed that. I reviewed a game, uh, Dracula's uh, Feast, which was really good. And it's... Um, and if you want a good audible review of that, you can listen to Dave talk about it on his own last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I give my my own opinion and then counter myself. You know, you're full of shit, Dave. Fuck you, Dave. I'm not talking to you anymore. What's really funny is when you start punching on yourself. Yeah. Um, anyone who did listen to last week but didn't stay long enough, do listen to after the uh, oh, outro yeah. music. <laughs> Special request for Andrew Pierce. Um and uh, we, I recently put up a review of Inside where I 
got the writing equivalent of verbal diarrhea. And just It's like 1,500 words for the review, but I couldn't find... That was it shortened. And I couldn't find any way to make it more concise. That was just a, a, a beautiful game. But again, I talked about that last week as well. So anyway, we've got a lot of reviews up on the site, YouTube, all that sort of stuff. Check it out. Have a good night, guys. See Cheers. ya.